This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If you're alive, you eat. And if you're human in 2021, you've likely confronted empty store shelves in supermarkets and become a lot more curious about how your favorite foods are produced. I'm Isabel Lee, host of this season's Future of X podcast presented by Vital Farms and Ozzy. This season, we will dig into what the future of farming will look and taste like. Listen to the Future of X, Future of Farming, wherever you get your podcasts. Apollo Ono grew up in Seattle, Washington, and became the youngest U.S. national champion in short track speed skating at 14 years old. He would later compete in numerous Winter Olympics, become an eight-time Olympic medalist, including two gold medals, and was inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame in 2019. He also competed in one season four of Dancing with the Stars. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Apollo Ono reflects on how he became a speed skater, his Olympic experience, and what he would have done if he wasn't an Olympian. Hey, Apollo. Hey. Oh, now that is good lighting. <laughs> I had to that get something. That is next level. Hey, you know what? You know what? You got to compete. You got the Apollo Onos out here in the world. You got to get some lighting for them. So, so here I am. Here I am. Are, where are you today? Are, are you on the West Coast, East Coast? I'm on the East Coast. I'm in Miami today. I'll be in New York um, probably on Monday. Oh, nice. I'm from Miami originally. Where Where in Miami are you? Oh, I'm in sunny. I'm in sunny Isles. Nice. Oh, right behind my computer screen is this amazing view of uh, of the beach. Oh, yeah. oh, you know Miami's a beautiful place. Now, does that mean you're a late night guy? Because uh, Miami has become we're we're good at late night these days. We're. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm actually not a late night person. I'm actually a very early morning person. So, it's the, the transition is kind of a little bit challenging, right? Because yeah, like the other day, this was like maybe a month ago, a friend of mine made reservations for dinner 
at 10.45 p.m. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking ahead, I'm like, you know, like if I'm living in L.A., like I'm literally in bed already, like an hour of sleep already. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a different life here. Yeah, no, uh, it is. It's funny. And when I grew up, it wasn't like that originally. And then when I came back to see my parents, friends would say, let's go out. You'd meet them at 11. You'd think, well, I'm going to be out for an hour. And then all of a sudden, it's 7 a.m. and you're having a, you're having a cafecito or some kind of a Cuban coffee yeah, exactly. to, you know, <laughs> to help you get home. So uh, so that's good. That's good. Wait, now, did you do the pandemic in Miami or, or where were you? No, I, I spent, I spent um, about, I would say, almost the entire pandemic until about February of this year in Los Angeles. I didn't do any travel. Um, we were, we were locked down, you know, and California at the time was like a different place during the pandemic. I mean, I used to remember in February and March and April of 2020, I would go running. I live in century city and I would go running outside of my door and there was no cars. I could run in the middle of Santa Monica Boulevard and there was no cars. It was out of a movie. It was, it was really surreal. Um, very surreal. Yeah. Isn't that wild? I, I keep thinking Apollo that, that, Everything that's happened, so much has happened in such a tight window, election, pandemic, uh, Black Lives Matter conversation, like so many different things have happened that I don't think we've actually, our brains have caught up to it all. And I actually think it's still going to be a year later, two years later, three years later before it all actually sinks in, kind of all the things that have happened. And so, uh, you know, running down the street, like you'll remember, like it was a fond memory, you know what I mean? Like years from now, so... Um, or maybe, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of a pandemic, but you know what I mean? The the opportunity to run freely is not one you always have, so. Yeah, or even a lot of my friends in New York who decided to stay there during the entire time, it was it was a ghost town. I mean, it was, uh, it's crazy. But, you know, human beings are, uh, we have sometimes the shortest memory, yeah. right? As we yep. all know, and we yeah. forget quickly and we want to get back to what we deem to be our new normal. And so, I think as the country opens back up, people are just hungry and eager as expected to just connect with with each other. Do, do you feel like you changed it all during it? I'm, I'm, as I'm hearing you talk about it, I'm thinking also about my own experience. Do you feel like you like you changed much over the last year? I'm not searching for a particular answer, just curious. Did, did, it, did it change you in any meaningful way? So I think the one thing that I, I wanted it to change um, for the way that I just perceived and looked at life in general and I think that sometimes we need these resets. And, and, and obviously, we need these resets without a pandemic attached to them. That would be the best situation. But for me, it allowed me to slow down. And I think a lot of people can relate to this where, okay, let me just create a catalog of what's really important in my life. What do I really care about? What is my true north? And why am I doing what I'm doing? And if I can't answer all of those questions accordingly, and it doesn't fit into the realm of, you know, what, do, what does Apollo Ono want from life or from this world or from the universe? And what does the universe or this life or the world want from Apollo Ono? If I can't clearly articulate those things, uh, that was the time, I think, at which we really had the opportunity to decide, am I doing what's best for me, for my family, for this existence? Um, and it, was, it, it also unearthed a lot of, I think, chaos that has existed in this country for a long time is no one decided to talk about it and no one was willing to talk about it. And we're seeing those things now and we're seeing action and we're seeing people who say, look, we have an opportunity here amidst everything that has happened, amidst all the rights and the wrongs that this country has gone through. And now instead of 
pointing fingers, we can say, hey, now is when we make a stand. Now is when we make a change. And now is when we no longer accept what the old way was as we forge ahead. And so I think that that's how I looked at my own life. And I said, what am I doing and where am I getting distracted and how can I continuously bring it back to home base? And um, I hope that I can continue upon this because for me, cognitively and kind of matching my brain with my heart and my spirit and my soul, I just want to remain in that, in that um, kind of mindset that life is fleeting. It's not guaranteed. Anything can happen at any moment. And so this like significant amount of gratitude, I think people started to feel and sense when we typically in the past have just taken those things for granted. So that's what I felt. And that's what I hope to continuously carry with me. But I have to be honest with you, it's hard, man, because we live in a world of like hyper technological advancement and we're always distracted. We're always given these kind of external signals or expectations of what you should look like, what you should wear, what you should have. This is what you need to be happy. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to like wipe the noise away and say like, I don't know if that fits in with like what my true north is. So that's how I've been kind of, you know, all calculating the way that I, I live moving forward. What do you do in order to get the quiet space? And again, now I'm also, you're making me do a little bit of introspection and ask myself whether or not I'm doing a good enough job sure. of kind of quieting the noise and, and kind of going there. Have you found things work for you? Is it, are there certain places you go? Are, there, are you a writer? Are you a journaler? And does that do it for you? Like what allows you to kind of reflect and maybe go a little bit deeper? I, I think the two things that you said, number one is writing. And then location is also somewhat important to me. Um, now, during the pandemic, we didn't have a lot of chances to travel and, and we chose not to travel. But now that I am traveling, I do tend to find, I spend a lot of time in airplanes. And so that time in airplanes is usually spent either typing or writing or just simply thinking, um, what happened today? How has this year been coming along? What am I grateful for? What are the things that I promised myself at the beginning of the year that maybe I've gotten so far off track, it's time to recalibrate and reassess where I'm at? Um, that introspection, I think, is really healthy. Now, a lot of people, especially during the pandemic, they had never spent this much time either at home with their loved ones or with themselves. They were always around external environments, whether you're going out with friends and, and family. And Now was that time where you would spend a lot of time um, internally. And so I naturally did this throughout my career as an Olympic athlete, that kind of introspection and this kind of self-inquisitive, am I on the right path? Does this fit into the realm of what's truly important to me and my family and the things that I believe that I want? Um, that constant questioning, I think it's really important. And I believe it does, you know, the one thing that's beautiful is it gives you a sense of freedom that typically you don't feel like you're the hamster on the cage anymore. And I hate that feeling. I hate feeling like I'm just like kind of running to get to catch up and to stay um, in this mode of of being relevant or being here or staying up to date with my branding. And at some point in your life, I think, and we typically only feel this when we face loss or kind of some severe either financial calamity or situation or something devastating happens in our life where we really start to reassess like, hey, all that stuff may actually not matter when I'm faced with something, something as simple as I just want to breathe normally. And something that we took for granted for so long is now the only thing that we actually desire. And so we're given these gifts through life. And technology should be used in a way that doesn't hijack us or doesn't handcuff ourselves to those areas where we feel responsible to consistently do them 
but instead we're using them as tools to amplify our voices, our message, our brand, our idea, business, et cetera, not the other way around. We never want to feel like technology is using us to data mine, to hijack our attention, and to distract us away from the things that we deem to be the most important. So I think of that as two buckets. One is the writing, and the second is kind of consistently questioning um, which usually unearths this natural curiosity that that I have that I'm really trying to push people towards. This is what you had when you were a kid. Don't lose sight of that. Don't let the adultness train the curiosity and the play out of you. That's the beauty of doing what we do. Now, as we grow older, we become hopefully more responsible. Um, we become more structured and we become more balanced. But at the same time, we do lose some of that natural curiosity and play that we had as we were kids. And to me, that's when you are at your best. So whether it's the way that you conduct your businesses and the way that you interact with your guests and you being in these flow states of having amazing conversations and kind of just like time seems to melt away or it's a writer and hours go by and he or she is just on pen and pad and they're just writing or typing away. Those are the moments where time seems to freeze and we have this disassociation with what we have to do and what's coming. And we're now just focused on being and being present. So all those things that I talked about are a part of this process. And uh, that's the beauty, man. That's the beauty of us kind of going through life and having these experiences. If you're alive, you eat. And if you're human in 2021, you've likely confronted empty store shelves in supermarkets and become a lot more curious about how your favorite foods are produced. I'm Isabel Lee, host of this season's Future of X podcast presented by Vital Farms and Aussie. This season, we will dig into what the future of farming will look and taste like. Listen to the Future of X, Future of Farming, wherever you get your podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Apollo, what do you think would have happened if you hadn't become an Olympian? I don't know if you can do the sliding doors thing, but, but if you can, what do you think would have happened? Where do you think, where do you think you'd be today? Yeah, so, uh, look, I've been asked that question many times. Um, one of the, I think if you asked me this question maybe five, even 10 years ago, I would have said I probably would have been a lost statistic because I just had so much energy, my energy, my mind. Um, it could have gone in either direction because I had such an extreme personality. Now, now, as I reflect back, um, and hopefully I would take some of the learnings and the philosophical beliefs that my dad was trying to ingrain within me at a young age, <clears throat> and I believe that I probably went, would go down the path of some sort of creativity, some sort of like artistic ability. I don't know if that's music. <clears throat> I don't know if that's actual art itself. Um, I don't know if that's entrepreneurship, but I do think that I have a kind of creative spontaneity about my personality that um, lends itself. Now, I'm very lucky and very blessed to be able to have gone through the Olympic experiences um, because that was the first kind of chapters in my life which showed me the power of the human mind, the human spirit. It showed me that just because genetically you were or were not designed a certain way doesn't mean that handicaps you in the particular career path or the decision that you're doing. And this is still our greatest asset. And so I carry that with me today. And instead of focusing solely on myself, which I did for 15 years. It was all about Apollo. It was all about me trying to win consistently. And now the shift has been, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about people. How can I help you become the version that I see in you that maybe you don't see in yourself? Tap into this untapped reservoir potential that exists within the human spirit and the human mind. And I know because I've been there, you may not know because maybe you haven't touched that yet but it's inside of you as a human being. So that's my new passion and purpose today. And I have to tell you, like, it, there's nothing more fulfilling and motivational um, than having that sense of purpose because it is applicable towards any career path that I assume, whether it's investing in entrepreneurship, whether it's in technology, um, whether it's in uh, a sports again, or in broadcasting or in writing. Um, all these things kind of become a big part of what I call the overall true north and just making sure that I'm remaining committed to that, to that step and phase. Apollo, go back into your career in succeeding in, uh, in sports and in skating. Was there a competition or two, a moment or two that fundamentally made a difference in your trajectory? I mean, when you look back, knowing all that you know, knowing that you got to not only do the journey but succeeded it, you met a lot of people who also succeeded. You saw a lot of people who didn't make it. Were there one or two kind of tipping point moments where you're like, no matter how talented I was, had I not made it work here or had that not been true, probably wouldn't have had the same trajectory? Well, I always say that we're always one decision away from an entirely different life. So there's probably been many of those certain situations and decisions. 
the one that stands out, I think, is when I was 14 years old and I had made my first team. Six months later, I finished dead last at the Olympic trials. So within, within like six or eight months of me reaching the pinnacle of U.S. competition and kind of, um, I guess, by default, being the captain of the team at the age of 14, still had braces. And then a year later, <clears throat> less than a year later, being 15 years old, and this 15-year-old kid decided to throw away the opportunity by not remaining committed, didn't understand what discipline was or hard work or, or sacrifice or grit and resilience, any of these things. Um, I just took it for granted. And I finished in that last slot, which was 16th place. And so my father did something that would be very frowned upon today, but he took his son, I was an only child, <clears throat> and he drove me about three and a half hours southwest of Seattle, where I grew up, into an area called Moclips or Kapalas Beach. And there was an old resort there. Um, well, it was called a resort. At the time, it was like these old kind of cabins that were leaking and like we're rotting away, but they were very cheap. Um, and, it, and it was beautiful. It was in the middle of, of kind of this like Northwestern wilderness. And so my father drops me off here at the age of 15. And he says, I don't care what decision that you choose, Apollo, but I don't want you to create this habit within yourself of you going through the motions of life when you have the talent, skill, and the chance to be your best. And I don't care that you didn't make the team. I care that you threw away the opportunity to give your best. And so this tough love that my dad ingrained in me at that age, which I, I couldn't articulate that at the time. I didn't, I didn't understand what that actually meant. It was powerful because my dad was giving me a fork in the road. He was saying, you, as a young man, have to come to your own decisions because you don't listen to me. You have a defiance to authority in general. No one tells you if it's blue uh, when you think it's red, or if it's night and you think it's sun. I mean, it, it, all the I was always the complete opposite. And so my dad was on his last straw, laps, last option, and he gave this chance to me. And I stayed at this cabin, Carlos, for I think almost like seven or nine days alone. No cell phone, no friends. I mean, this is a place where I typically tell people that you get sent if you're part of the witness protection program. Like there's no one around. There's like no one there. <laughs> right. And I'm a 15 year old. All I want to do is like play video games and hang out with my friends. Like that's what I want to do. I don't want to have these like life epiphany moments of like self-realization and introspection. Like I don't even know what those words mean at the time. And I'm stuck in this cabin and I'm just mindlessly started to train. And through this training process, you know, this internal voice, this inner voice you're kind of communicating with that inner voice and you're kind of asking like, why is my dad making me stay here? My disdain for my father, the, the anger towards him, which then turned around to say, well, maybe there's something else here. Maybe I'm actually supposed to be thinking in a different way. Maybe I'm here by my own doing. And maybe I really should start thinking about what it is do I really want to do? I don't know what that is. So to kind of accelerate this story, I had made the decision, my father had come and picked me up from this place. Um, it's a three and a half hour drive. So when I called him for the, from the payphone, by the way, um, and told him that I had made a decision, he actually didn't ask me what the decision was. He drives, comes and picks me up. And on the way home, I explained to him, I want to give this short track speed skating. I want to give this Olympic path one more shot. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, I, the sport is very volatile. Lots of unpredictable, no guarantee outcomes here. But I'm willing to try. And my dad being ecstatic, A, because you know, he thought that I had the talent, but also because I was actually taking a decision into my own hands. 
And about another four months later, I made the secondary alternate spot on the world team, which means that I wouldn't skate any races. I wouldn't skate any individual competitions. I would essentially be the person who would skate if two people got hurt. Um, So it's a double alternate. And that's how my career actually began was because before I had this raw talent and ability, but until this switched on, until this was like, okay, now I'm ready to start studying the sport and committing myself and enjoying it and being one with who it is that I believe that I can be um, and tapping into this unknown. It, it, was, it was very scary, right? Like sometimes we're, a, we're actually afraid of becoming who we can become because we don't maybe believe that we deserve to be or we don't think that we're good enough or, or whatever kind of false internal glass ceiling we've set before ourselves. And now is that as a stage to say, no, Let's go beyond the preconceived notion of expectation. Let's go beyond any of these things. And I used all the levers of emotion to my advantage, whether it was anger, sadness, rage, fears of failure, um, inconsistency, self-sabotage, whatever those things were, I used them as fuel for the fire, which would then propel me towards the ultimate goal, which was the target was trying to make it on the team. So that was the most pivotal moment in my life at the time. And there's been several others, but that's the one I probably glean on the most. Tell me a little bit about your dad. Where's he from? Uh, was he a skater himself? Was he an Olympic athlete? Who is your dad? So my father was not an athlete. He was not a skater. My father uh, was born in Japan. He had moved to the United States at the age of 17 years old without a single dollar to his name, uh, without speaking the English language. He was in search of the Americana dream that he saw and read um, while in Japan. Against my grandparents' wishes, he moved to the US. Um, He only had one camera around his neck and he sold that camera for money so he could begin his life. And he struggled, He, he really struggled. So there was never like an athletic gene in my family per se, Um, But I think that there was a sense of resiliency and survival that was there. And anyone who has come to this country knows um, that this is required, right? This is some things that are really tough. There's going to be times in your life where you're not going to be able to understand what's happening and you will be knocked down. And I saw that through my father, especially when I was growing up. Um, And you asked me who my father is. And I think I would describe my dad in a variety of different ways, resilient, humble, kind, um, loving, understanding, with significant amounts of empathy and gratitude. And my dad has this really unique blend of like Eastern tradition mixed with like Western um, values. And he blends them as the way that he was raising me. Uh, and so I, I, I take, with those, uh, take those lessons with me today. It's so funny because my, when I write to my dad today, he did like a text message, right? Or, or like on an email, I'll ask him a, a simple question. And he'll respond back in this like riddle-esque like haiku that I have to like <laughs> decipher and break down. I'm like, what is he ha- why, how, how is he asking me a question? I'm the one asking the question. Um, but he's got this amazing ability, which I now understand that he, all he wants me to do is two things. One, he wants me to be strong enough and to build the ability and will to stand on my own two feet without him, which I believe I've done. And then two, to always question right? Question both myself. Um, is this the right path? Are there other ways of doing this? And I think that that is some of the fundamental principles my dad has done is, you know, is going through that process of introspection. Uh, and what's his name? What's your dad's name? My dad's name is Yuki. Y-U-K-I. Y-U-K-I. Love that. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on do not disturb, tuning out all the constant just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Apollo, I want to try something with you, a little rapid fire. You mind if I hit you with a half dozen yeah, uh, sure. things? They may come from different different directions. Um, um, what's your favorite movie of all time? Oh, favorite movie of all time. That's an impossible question, Carlos. It's impossible. It depends on my mood. Uh, Look, I love inspiration movies. So movies like Miracle on Ice, movies like The Shawshank Redemption, um, you know, Schindler's List. Like these, uh, there's there's so many. There's really so many. Those are the ones that come to my head. Um, uh, uh, The most awestruck you've ever been in meeting someone. So the most fan struck or awestruck or celebrity struck you've ever been in meeting someone. Ooh. Um, well, luckily we, as Olympians get the chance every, after every Olympic games to visit the white house as a team. And so we've, I've met numerous presidents, um, and spent time with them. So whether it was spending time with both of the Bushes, with the Clinton family, with the Obamas, um, it's always been interesting. Uh, I think the presidents are the one that is you know, kind of the most surreal because there's this person who stands at the helm of like leading a country um, and the power that that possesses, right? And then we're kind of just like walking around the White House. Oh, this is where the president sits, you know? And it's like, oh, look, why don't I take a seat, right? <laughs> Stuff like that. That's usually pretty cool. Wow. And, and, and who did you have the best conversation with among the presidents? Um, I've had conversations with all of them. Um, uh, oh, President Obama, we had a, a good conversation President Clinton talked about sneakers. Um, and then like four years later, when I saw him again, he remembered the conversation. That was pretty remarkable. Um, I've had, I mean, I've, I've had so many incredible experiences, right? I met Gene Simmons, one of the kind of lead singers and stars from the rock band Kiss, who spent about an hour and a half trying to convince me to change my name from one L to two L's in my first name because his autocorrect whenever he would text me would actually go to two L's. And he's like, why don't you just do everybody a favor, Apollo, and just make it easy. Just make it easy. Yeah. Always a consummate salesman. <laughs> hey, hey, what's your favorite karaoke song? Oh, um, I probably Journey, right? Don't Stop believing. Yeah. believe it. Yeah. 
Oh, love it. Little Steve Perry. Tip your cap to Steve Perry, West Coast guy. Um, uh, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would you want to have dinner with? Mm. Uh, that is really hard. Um, Abraham Lincoln. Because? Because I think understanding his psychological decision-making process in a time where there was deep conflict and no real clear sight of alignment, I'd like to really actually understand how and when and who was around in that process and how he actually comes to making some of the harder decisions in his life. Hmm. Your best friend? Best friend is still my dad. Um, my secondary best friend is a friend named Ian, uh, someone who was on my first road trip as an athlete when I was 12 years old. We were the first roommates. He's someone who I call um, part of my day ones, right? My starting five, so to speak. And he, I work with him to this day and someone who I trust dearly. Um, well, for folks who think they know you, what would surprise them to find out about you? Well, that's probably going to be in my book, right? Um, I think the one thing that most people who think they know me either through Dancing with the Stars or through my kind of Olympic um, performances is, is the path to Olympic gold was never as clear um, or as direct as people believe. And the internal the internal struggles that we all face, and me particularly, throughout that process, and we can call it the weight of gold or whatever it is, a lot of questioning, a lot of self-doubt, lots of feels of failure, um, was a really trying and sometimes toxic environment internally between the prison of my own two years. And then that, what I call the great divorce, which happens after the Olympics, after you decide to retire, is equally just as difficult and hard. And so many, many people, I think, can relate to this as they transition or reinvent themselves in their own direction of their life. Um, and so I'm very open about that when I talk about that in my book and I talk about this kind of deeper psychological awareness that we all now have around the importance of mental health, but also the ability to create better systems for us to think about how we can transform and transition beyond what our previous identity was as we start to kind of rebirth into whatever this new version of ourselves who we really want to be. And so I'm passionate about that. Like I love to see people go through that process and it's hard, it's not easy, but if you're willing to do the work on the other side is a beautiful, beautiful experience. Uh, your favorite motivational teacher, motivational coach. Wow. Uh, there's many. So I tend to look for motivation in um, a lot of the poetry and philosophical writings um, of the past. So Nikos Kazantzakis um, uh, in his book, Report to Greco. Um, we've got um, writers um, uh, that like one of my favorite poems um, is called uh, Good Timber by Douglas Malick. Um, Good timber does not grow with ease. Uh, the stronger the wind, the stronger the trees, right? Um, that's where I seem to, to really derive a lot of inspiration and motivation from is, and, and I find people inspirational today. Like I, you know, I was in an Uber driver two weeks ago and I got in and I started talking to uh, the man who was driving me and asking him about how he became an Uber driver. When did he come to this country? Um, and all these different questions. And this man was very inspirational effectively during this 45 minute Uber ride, told me his whole life story and how important it is. And this man carries two jobs at the same time. And I just was just enamored by his love for his family, showed me pictures of his family, um, how everything that he does is for his family. And I don't think that he enjoys Uber driving. However, 
he loves meeting people. And so he's found this sense of play in that process. And he gets excited about it. He gets excited sharing his family and their stories, talking about the food from where he was from. And so I was like, this man lives the American dream. He actually does. He may not even know that, but his smile left me with this like this resonance that I think is, I, I, can't, I mean, I'm still talking about it today, two weeks later, right? And so I try to make it a point that when I do have time and I do get into some of these cars or I do meet strangers, either on the plane, wherever it is, just engage in a conversation. You never know what that story is that carries with you. And it just because they're not celebrated on social media doesn't mean they don't have some kind of incredible life lesson uh, in there. Um, hardest thing about writing your book? The hardest thing about writing my book, I think, is just the constant reiteration process, right? Um, as we strive for perfectionism in all aspects of our lives, sometimes that creates paralysis. And for me particularly, I just I care so much about the product that I want this to help people in their lives. It's got to be right. Uh, and that's hard, right? Especially because the way that I speak versus the way that I write seem to be two separate people. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to blend them um, as, as best I can. You know who was, you know who was the best? I think at blending his writing and his speaking was Martin Luther King Jr. Have you ever read any of his books? I have read his books. Yes, yes. He, he's a terrific writer. Writes with such ease. I've always thought that he should be taught to every high school student, not just for the substance of his words, but literally how to convey what you're thinking and feeling and, and want to express in a way that's very digestible to a wide array of people. I thought he was- I will revisit. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, definitely worthy of that. Um, Apollo, am I going to see you in politics one day? I don't think so. Um, I, I've never really had desire for politics in any capacity. Um, I only hope that our society can help shape and guide politics in the way that best suits all people. That's, that's what I hope, because we are the decision makers, right? It is up to us to collectively come to decisions and guardrails and systems that best suit all communities in this country. And I feel like we're starting to get there amidst all of the conflict and geopolitics and the struggles and the identity politics that exists in this country. I think that there is always a silver lining. And that silver lining is we need to change. And collectively, we have the opportunity. So let's use technology in the way they were supposed to be used to our advantage, not to hijack or misinform or disintermediate in any capacity, but actually to collectively unify voices in the best possible way. Um, at least that's my internal optimist hope. Um, Apollo, talk to me about books. What are two or three of your favorite books of all time? Two or three of my favorite books of all time. Um, let me go back here. Um, the Undiscovered Self by Carl Jung, um, who was a psychiatrist. Um, Report to Greco by Nikos Kazantzakis. Um, that's a bit of a, a thicker read, but really important in terms of the introspection and his conversation with his journeys. Um, and I think another, uh, those two stick out the most. Um, another that I, I seem to go back and read often um, uh, yeah, th those, those are the two, I think uh, at the tip of my tongue are the ones that, that I remember the most. Um, and, and, and there's others, right? There's Viktor Frankl, um, his work. Uh, yeah, I tend to, I tend to look for things into, of inspiration in some capacity. And, and Apollo, I assume because of your, uh, training for the Olympics and being in so many 
that you did not get to go back to college full time. Is that right? Or did you or did you ever get a chance, a window to really uh, dive deep in that? Uh, so when I was competing as an athlete, I actually went to university. Um, and I would be remiss if I told you that I paid any attention at all. And I didn't. And, you know, like all due respect to my professors at the time in Colorado, like, I, you know, I, my mind was elsewhere. And what I found is that, um, and needs to even more recently, even the past few years, I decided to go back into the academic world. I attended a executive leadership program um, at Wharton Business School. And so my hunger and my thirst for knowledge has actually um, exponentially risen since I'm no longer actually in, in school. And so I frequent both professors, a lot of my business partners and associates and friends are existing staff and faculty at a lot of universities. And I found that when you want to learn is when you really start to learn, but you have to want to learn. You have to be willing and pour out that cup in the beginning. So you're absolutely right. Like my previous academic knowledge was not there. Um, and when my, when I transitioned in 2010, almost 12, you know, 11 and a half years ago, um, away from sport into the next phase of my life, it required a retooling of my brain. I needed to understand how my relationship with money was going to interact, how my relationship with both my father and career and business and tax and all these things that in the past I had no idea, no idea. And I needed to inform myself, A, so I could protect myself and B, so I could make better decisions in that process. What was, uh, if you were to try to identify one of the most challenging things that happened to you in this post-sports career world, what would you, what, what would be, Number one on that list, what was the hardest thing for you kind of post-2010, 2011? The hardest thing for me was what am I good at outside of leg press, speed skating, running, sprinting, biking, doing dryland exercises? Um, that was a big challenge to me. What am I passionate about? What are my skill sets? What value add do I have? I feel like even though I've traveled to 80-plus countries around the world – and I've been a part of these incredible experiences, I'm still stunted in my growth when it terms of my own personal development. And so the number one most challenging thing was accepting myself amidst all of my flaws and inconsistencies and self-doubts, and then learning that once I was able to have that self-love and acceptance, I could move towards this person who I believed that I could become, and I was going to become, and that I could become. And it was gonna take work, because my preconceived self has its own micro traumas and its own consistencies and routines and habits that were formed and almost hardwired for 15 years. And as I forged a new version of myself, I would always be pulled back to that 1.0 Apollo. And so that was even in my relationship with the way that I approached towards work, towards friendships, towards businesses. I would usually revert back to what I was taught and how I always used those skill sets and levers in my life previously, in my previous career, which was my first identity. And then as I transitioned beyond that first identity to understand that I had only been looking down at the diamond when there was all these other facets that needed to be polished and they were beautiful and they were sparkly and they were amazing, but it was up to me to do that work. And so I didn't know that, right? We spend so much time zoomed in that we forget to zoom out on the greater picture and realize that we're actually moving in the right direction. We feel like we've been in the wrong fight the entire time. Uh, Apollo, what is being um, Asian, half Asian, 
How has that impacted you, if at all? And I ask that openly. I don't mean to project anything upon you or I'm not searching for a particular answer, but has that impacted you in any way, good, bad, or other? I think overall it's impacted me in a really healthy way. Um, you know, when I was growing up, in terms of identity for my ethnic and my background, I didn't know what I was. No one looked like me in my school. Um, I typically wasn't Asian enough because I didn't speak any other languages. There was no other half Japanese kids really that I hung out with. Um, and so there was always this like, this like pull where I wanted to be accepted by all, um, but I myself didn't really know what that was. And even when I went and went to compete in the US, I was an American, right? I was half Japanese and my father was Japanese and I potentially would go compete in Asia and Japan to compete in the Olympic games, but I was American. I was, I was a foreigner like anyone else. And so as we've kind of evolved throughout society, um, I think representation has changed significantly. And the hunger for representation and understanding of both diversity and inclusion across all sectors of business and interactions of society has become a real focal point. And so I now try to highlight the areas of my upbringing, of the cultures, of the Asian experiences that I have. I consider myself half Asian. I'm half Japanese, but I'm half Asian. And that, I think that's a superpower, right? As we've got all of our own histories in our DNA. Um, when I was younger, I didn't think so. Um, but as I grow older, I'm very proud of the fact of what my dad had gone through in raising me and coming to this country. And all the cultural, um, I think, beauty parts of Japan and Asia in general, I try to bring to the world in the best way possible. So to answer your question succinctly, which, you know, I always have struggled doing, um, I, I, I feel proud. You know, I think representation is important. I think that um, what we've seen in the past, this past year particularly, um, is a lot of very chaotic and um, just just a misunderstanding um, and a miseducation that has existed in this country around people of race and of color. And I think that we can now choose to say, hey, this is, this is motivated by X, Y, and Z, um, or we can just take a stand and say, this is an attack on the human race. This is an attack on people in general. Like we do not need to be engaging in this type of violence towards one another. Um, so hopefully we can make that change. I hope we can. Hey, three final questions for you. Um, uh, quick but good ones. Uh, what's the most beautiful place in the world you've ever been to? Wow, the most beautiful place in the world. Um, I think there's beauty, and you know, without being cliche, there's beauty everywhere. I would say going back to that Pacific Northwest cabin uh, because of its importance and memory for me seems to be the most beautiful. And by the way, it rains there a lot, all the time. But there's a sense of emotion and beauty and decision process there that to me is, is really meaningful. So the Pacific Northwest. Um, most interesting thing you've ever learned about love in this life? Wow. Um, I think a lot of love is about first understanding that you have to love yourself first. Um, I struggle with that a lot, uh, and I still do. But um, yeah, I'm incredibly self-critical, right? I was trained in that way to, to never accept to always want more, to always want to grow and be better, and it's never good enough. And I think that, that um, it's a great lever to lean on, but there are times, especially when time is fleeting, that if you do actually want to change, you have to love yourself. And in order to really give love, you have to truly love yourself and be okay and understand that 
your imperfections make you entirely the perfect person that you are supposed to be at this moment. And I know that sounds like soft and, and, and such, but I do think the empathy and the gratitude component and the vulnerability, those three components that, that go into, into love are really important. And having that love for yourself is a critical piece. Uh, Apollo, finally, you and I uh, get together uh, 20 years from now. Uh, we have a meal. We have a little coffee. Where are we? Paint the scene. Catch me up. What is true? Apollo and Carlos back together again in 2041. Uh, give me the scene. Paint the scene for me. Okay. The scene is we have just finished a, a very long night out with friends. We're sharing a cafecito, um, laughing about the fact that we did this digitally for the first time and wishing that we had recorded the entire crazy night that we just had um, of fun, of smiles and memories. Uh, right here in Miami. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Apollo, you are going to have to come back to Miami this fall because I'm part of a group that's doing a very cool festival called Aussie Fest, awesome. which will be in uh, Bayfront Park, if you know where Bayfront Park is there in Miami, right there on the water in October. So I'm going to invite you to come back. Oh, I'd love to. That'd be amazing. Good, good. Apollo, hey, thank you so much for joining me and congratulations on the book. I think it is such important work. I think you were right that it's very hard to pivot, no pun intended. Uh, I think it's very hard to pivot and pivot truly. And as you said, trust yourself to pivot and then ultimately do it through the ups and downs because it never happens uh, like it would on just a piece of paper or in a movie. And so thank you for writing the book and for and for doing the work you're doing. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I hope. Well, I look forward to seeing you this October, I hope. I, I hope so. With that cappuccino. <laughs> you got to. We got to. We got to. I know exactly where we're going. I know where I'm taking us. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app or Apple Podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. 
because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.